Welcome back into Sideline Stories Podcast. This is episode three with Sienna Sharpshooter, Ryan Oliver, and myself, Connor Fenlon. Thank you to everyone that tuned in already of the Sideline Stories. Don't forget to subscribe on wherever you listen to podcasts and our official YouTube page to stay up to date with the latest on the podcast. We are very fortunate to be joined today from one of our first media guests, former Sienna beat writer. If you don't follow him on Twitter, it's something you must do. It's very worth it. He writes now for the Miami Heat and covers the, the NBA for the Associated Press. We are lucky to be joined by Mr. Tim Reynolds. Thank you for joining us, Tim. What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Oh, so for, the first thing we usually get started with is, you know, this is obviously a Sienna-based podcast. So catch the Sienna faithful up. What you've been up to since, you know, you're, cap you're up in the Capital Region. Man, it's been 19 years since I left <laughs> the Capital Region. It's, it's crazy to think about. I said I'd we, my, my wife and I, we got married in September of 01, and I said we'd be in Miami for five years. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, word of the wise, you don't always get, uh, <laughs> the husbands don't always get a vote on where you end up. <laughs> so, <Sure. laughs> um, I've been down here since 01, like I said. Um, you know, I still get home from time to time, obviously not so much lately for obvious reasons, but um, started covering the WNBA. Well, actually, I got hired down here to do as a news guy at the AP. I'd never done news. I think they realized pretty quickly I wasn't really good at news. So they kind of let me stretch back out into sports a little bit. I covered the, w, the, the WNBA team in Miami when we had one uh, for a couple of years. And then in June of 03, the Heat drafted this skinny kid from Marquette. And they needed somebody to cover the Heat a little more regularly. So it was very much right place, right time. So I go from like Louis Orr to Pat Riley in like three years. And it was... Uh, it was, uh, and I, I've I've been covering the Heat ever since. This is this was season. This is season seventeen, and obviously this is a season like none other <laughs> for obvious reasons. And we're not, and it's not going to end anytime soon either. So it's uh, I've just been very very lucky to make a living out of covering the game. No, that that's awesome. That's an exciting journey, um, you know, and you, you've kind of seen it all. How, how has COVID been? Uh, you know, living in Miami and Florida. How's that kind of? Been so, man, this is a hot spot. I mean, it was bad here. It was, it was, it, and you know, the numbers are starting to go down. The hospitalization rate is starting to go down, but it's, um, you know, we pretty much, we don't go anywhere. You know, we either go to the grocery store with masks and gloves on still. Um, the gym that we use has reopened its outdoor court. So I, I've done the same shooting drill for like 30 years and, <laughs> I, still, and I still can't shoot, but I still do the same drill. Um, <laughs> So that's reopened now, and the only way, like it's this, it's the biggest outdoor court you've ever seen. It's got to be like 150 feet long. Like, and I've seen guys try to go like five on five full on it, and it takes like a game to seven takes like 35 minutes because guys are like done. It's like two one, and guys are like bent over and walking and stuff. If if anyone, if no one else is out there, I'll go out there and get some shots up. But otherwise, we're home, and you kind of have to be that way now down here. And Obviously, I'm between stints in the bubble. You know, as we sit here right now, I'm between stints. I definitely don't want to be the guy that brings down the bubble when he goes back. So I'm just trying to be like triply cautious. No pressure. Before I go back up. <laughs> yeah, that we had. Uh, we had Ron Moore was our first guest on this podcast, and he was part of the TBT bubble. You know, one of the first first people to do the bubble, and he actually was a late signee. So we talked about. How'd you like to feel if you were the one that, you know, you had to ruin it for your team? Because in the TBT, if one guy got it, the whole team had to leave. They had, right. you know, they had no option. So we talked about Ron, and Ron said, 
you know, I, he actually didn't fly there. They wanted to fly him there, but he said, I want to drive there just in case, you know, I don't want to catch anything because I don't want to be the guy that does that. One of the beat writers, uh, there's only like 10 true beat writers in the bubble. And this guy who I'd never really met him uh, until we were in the bubble, this guy, Brad Townsend from the Dallas Morning News, does a great job for them, drove the 17 hours from Dallas to Orlando. Just to ensure. <laughs> just to be like triply, triply certain. A lot of NBA staff drove oh, wow. from New York, Jersey, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, wherever they live. They, just some of them, I think it was just, I mean, some of them, like, there was, like, coincidences, like, they have a, they have a second place in Florida or whatever. Some of them just said it was the safer way to go. And I'm very fortunate in that I can just drive back up. Mm -hmm. um, it's only, like, three, three and a half uh, for me. If, this, if the bubble was in Vegas, like they talked about way back when, back in March and April, whenever that was, or if the bubble was somewhere else, I'm not so sure I would have gotten on a plane six, eight weeks ago. I mean, yeah. yes, it's the job. But we're kind of a big company. We kind of got people in a lot of places. Do I have to be the one who gets on a plane? Like, I don't know back then if I would have felt so certain about it. So I'm very relieved that there's no planes in my future for, uh, for a minute here, So which is, which is nice. Nah, that's uh, it's crazy. I literally just got on a plane yesterday, and I, I have my shield on, my, my, my big jacket. I was taking all precautions because – have to. Like you said, you just never really know. There was a guy on a political show we watch, um, a show called The Circus, one of the analysts on there. He got on a plane for the first time to go cover something with Biden or Trump. I can't remember who, but mm -hmm. he had on, like, those goggles we used to wear, like, in biology class. <laughs> he had, like, the mask that with, like, the breathing apparatuses, like, out the side. I mean, this dude was every mad scientist protection he could find. And you can't blame him. You can't blame anybody anymore for doing that. You can't. Safety first, that's for sure. Absolutely. Uh -huh. And the bubble is all about that too. Like seriously, in the bubble, we're tested every day. Mm -hmm. So, so you feel super safe because you're getting tested. And like those first few days, they don't tell you one key thing about it. Mm -hmm. You get, you go get tested and then you're getting the email back. And they, so the first couple of days we're getting the emails, we're all in quarantine Yeah. for that first week. And we're getting the emails at like four, five, five thirty in the morning. Uh-huh. So the first night, like I'm waking up like every 20 minutes, I'm looking at my phone, like, is it here yet? Is it here yet? Because I was so afraid, right? Like, I'm like nauseous. My hand is shaking as I get the first email. Not detected. All right, cool. By like day four, you're still very, very nervous. And then you're talking with somebody and it comes up, you know, what's it like not to get that phone call? I'm like, what do you mean the phone call? And they're like, oh, you ain't got to worry about the emails. If you got it, you're getting a phone call and they're dragging you out into isolation yeah. housing. The email is meaningless. I'm like, why'd you tell? Why'd you wait to tell people now? But it's, it, you know, there's hand sanitizer everywhere. Everybody's in the masks. Mm -hmm. uh, we had to wear these little, these little square gizmos that like, if you were within six feet of somebody, it would start going off. Like it would start beeping. Oh, wow. And if you didn't move, it would go to like a siren. Like you hear these weird noises during the press conferences, which are all on Zoom in the bubble. That's because somebody's standing too close to somebody. And the little contact tracing thing is going crazy. It's, it, it really is the <laughs> safest place in the world, the bubble. But you just go through a lot to get to that place. But it's the, the NBA's really thought of everything. That's why, you know, knock on – Knock on wood. I mean, it's it's still working. I know the TBT guys took it similarly, you know, into very, very similar measures yeah. about how serious you just have to take this thing.
That was going to be, I think you little touched on my next question, but even though you're there, most of it's still on Zoom, you know, when you're talking to the players and coaches, even though you're still there. Yeah. So, and, and in fact, they, they changed the rules a little bit. Like everything is on Zoom. Now, th those of us that are in the bubble, we can go to practice. We can go to shoot oh. around. We can grab a guy off to the side. We can get some one-on-one -on -one stuff. We can do stuff like that. But let's say it's a post game and Ryan Oliver is one of the players in the post game. In theory, I would have to be logged into Zoom. So a guy back in Loudonville who's moderating uh -huh. would know that I want to ask a question about me having my hand up <laughs> when, in fact, I'd be standing three feet from Ryan. And then the guys that are in, actually in the bubble, the PR people in the bubble, would yell at Ryan if he turned to answer me over here. And they're like, no, 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 look at the camera. So I'd be standing here asking, and he'd be sitting there. And they, they, it's so, the guys think it's so weird, but yeah. it's just part of the drill. Like, even though we're right there, halftime, we sort of pretend like we're not. And then there were some nights when you're covering two or three things at once, you're in the bubble, and people know you're in the bubble, and you're doing it from your hotel room at like 1030, trying to get two other stories done. And they're like, why aren't you here? And I'm like, yo, there's only one of me. So yeah. it's, <laughs> Zoom is Zoom is changing the way, Zoom's changing everything about this game, mm -hmm. period. And, and I don't think it's going away, guys. Like, I think Zoom has made our lives so much easier in a lot. Like, ordinarily, this would be on Skype or this would be on FaceTime, a FaceTime yeah. audio, what we're doing right now. The fact I can see you guys and that you're getting bored with me talking, it tells me, no. I it. so there we go. So I just stop talking now. No, 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 never. Never that. Wow. Yeah. So how many times have you been tested then? Like with Every day. So I got tested 36 times. So now it's not even, is it a, re a reaction to you? Like, is it just normal? You're used to it? So, yeah. And, and mine isn't the uh, way <laughs> up. So yeah, what yeah. they do the hardest part for me was they would they would swab the insides of both cheeks mm -hmm. and then they would swab either the back of your tongue or the back of your throat. Oh, not pleasant. <laughs> Just not pleasant. And then they would do both nostrils and they would go maybe like a quarter of an inch, maybe like a third of an inch up, like not real bad. Just like okay. one circle here, one circle here. Okay, bang, zoom, you're done. The whole thing takes like 45 seconds. The one day that you get the nurse who wants to go a little bit further, maybe like half an inch, you feel it. Like, you're like, oh, it's no big deal. Oh, it's a big deal. Oh, it's definitely a big deal. But every morning you had to get, well, not every, I just did it every morning. We had to, when, before we left our rooms every morning, we had to, um, we got a digital thermometer and a pulse ox thing that all operate on Bluetooth. There was an app. We had to log into that app every morning. They'd have our temperature, they'd have our pulse ox, and that would tell them if we were spiking one way or another. Our, is, this is this temperature a little up? Is this pulse oxygen a little low? Those were bad signs. They tracked it everywhere. The Disney, if everyone's ever been to Disney, you get those magic bands that serve as your, your room key, like your everything. We had to scan those to get in everywhere. Scan those to get into arenas, scan those to get out of the arena at night so we can get back on the bus, scan those obviously for our room, scan those for dining. Those things were everywhere. And if you didn't come up green, <laughs> they pulled you aside and said, yo, what's up? And you better have a good reason why you're not green. I, luckily, I never had a false positive. A lot of people did. Like the testing isn't perfect, but mm -hmm. then you just get tested again and usually you're fine. But I never went through the scare of, uh-oh.
I never had that. A lot, so a lot of people there I knew did, including quite a few players. But wow. they straightened it out right away. <laughs> yeah, sure they, sure they try to get a hold of that real quick. But yeah. talk a little bit about – I know the NBA has done a great job trying to make it, it seem like there's fans there, you know, with the virtual fans, you know, on the side. Now, now with the playoffs, the home team gets a little bit of defensive chance, sometimes when they're down 10, you know, to try to get it. But talk a little bit about what it's like to be in there watching the game when there's no one really there. So it's very strange in that, like, one of the first games I did was a Heat home game. And the PA announcer here in Miami is a good friend of mine, a guy named Michael Biamonte. No, he's no Scott Noel, but not bad. <laughs> not bad at what he does. No Scott Noel, though. Name drop. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, I'll be the only person in the history of this podcast who name drops. Right. Well and, unless we bring all this out. Anyone who would ever consider that a name drop. <laughs> so there's this thing in Miami and, you know, where at random times he will yell, stand up and make some noise. He'll do that. So he recorded a bunch of his signature calls, including that one. Uh-huh. So at every Heat home game in the bubble, they play this at random times. And I'm like, who are they talking to? There's nobody here. Literally, there's like nine media guys, 206 TV production people, 34 players, three referees, and like two random GMs. Like nobody's cheering in the bubble. Yeah, we still have all this fan stuff and, the, you know, your warm-up music. Like I walked into a a Heat Thunder game. It was a Thunder home game, and they're playing country music. And every Heat guy is like, "What is this? What is this?" Was that Jimmy? That must have been uh, Jimmy. Actually, Jimmy. Oh, Jimmy! Jimmy ain't gonna complain about country music. Jimmy loves him some country music. I mean that that um that Mick Ultra commercial that's out right yeah, now. Yeah, I've seen his jersey in it. <laughs> yeah, that's his house. Real? Oh, that's real. Those are his. Those are his cowboy boots. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, Jimmy's. Jimmy's unique. I'll put it that way. Jimmy's Jimmy's unique in some regards. So, but it was, I mean, you kind of like that element of it. It it is weird in there to hear fake noise piped in. Um, But the NBA was obviously very concerned about both from a strategic standpoint, you know, there are play calls, there are verbal things. Not everybody's using hand signals for everything. So you want to try to drown as much of that out as possible. But at the same time, you also have to be worried about hypothetically a Clippers player calling Luca a bleep, bleep, yep. bleep. Yep, yep. <laughs> it may or may not have happened two days ago. And so I, I understand why they're trying to drown some of it out. I just wish there was like an alternate feed. I wish there was an alternate feed where they can make it authentic, but they can't. Like we're literally hearing the noise when we're in there. The only thing that's different for us is other than the NBA logo at center court and the Black Lives Matter painted on that one far sideline, everything else you're seeing on the floor, that's CGI. That's, we're not seeing that. that. That changes for every home game. We don't see that. It's just a plain floor except for the logo and the Black Lives Matter. Right. Otherwise, what you're hearing is what we're hearing. So I want to know how, the, how, how is the food? Because at first when everyone got there, I felt like, some people may or may not have blogged about how they're missing some items and whatever, but how is your perspective of the food? Well, for one, you know, I probably can mix in a few million more salads. So there's that. <laughs> um, let's just clear that up. Um, <laughs> quarantine food was terrible. Like quarantine food, it was like no carb left behind. And, and the, the deal with quarantine food, they, 
you don't get a selection. Like, I'll be curious to see how it changes when I go back in quarantine for a second time. Okay. They would literally knock on your door three times a day and drop off like two bags of food. And it was everything that they had made. And it was like a breakfast burrito and a muffin and hard boiled eggs and a Danish and some sort of bacon type product and a yogurt. And like, it was everything. Like no human could consume all this. So the idea was, but a lot of it was prepackaged too. So the idea was limit the amount of people who are gonna be touching this stuff, mm -hmm. give you a variety of things. You felt really bad throwing out so much food, but nobody could have eaten all this. Oh, yeah. um, some of the nights, like some of the dinner, like, it's just tough when you're delivering food for like 1200 people, which they were at the time, it's tough to keep proteins hot. And I got, I love chicken. I got so tired of chicken in the bubble because every night was like, if it was chicken for dinner, you knew it was going to be some sort of very similar chicken entree coming your way for lunch the next day. And there'd be a new type of chicken for dinner that night. So um, once you get out of quarantine, it got, it, it got a lot better. And then, so there used to be, when we started getting out of quarantine, it was very much like a dorm situation. It was like you go to a dining hall and there was a refrigerator type setup and then another bigger cooler. And then there was like a, like a hot box. I don't know how else to describe it. Mm -hmm. A fridge that kept stuff hot instead of cold, whatever you would call that. <laughs> and like your entree would be in there. It's all in biodegradable, mm -hmm. whatever. I hadn't used a real fork, I think, in 35 days since I was there. Everything was plastic. It got better as the time went along. Like they abandoned that and they went to like a buffet style setup with like monstrous plexiglass between us and them. So they're in a mask, they're in a visor, they're behind plexiglass. We're on the other side of plexiglass with a mask on and you're trying to tell the lady or the gentleman, no, I'd like this, 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 or this. And eventually you just stop talking and just yeah. point. Like, no, <laughs> yes, because they can't hear you anyway. So the, the food was fine. I mean, it was, it's very tough to cook for 1,200 people. Yeah. One, one thing that was really important to players, and I'm guessing both of you are aware of this element of basketball, ballers need their PB&J. They yeah. just do. <laughs> well, we're in an era now where you can't have the jar of peanut butter and the jar of jelly and the loaf of bread just out for player one, player two, player three to grab from and leave the plastic knife behind and all that. Yeah. You can't do that anymore. They were making thousands of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and packaging them individually every day. That they'd have a strawberry sticker and a grape sticker. So you knew if it was strawberry jelly or grape jelly, that was it. They had it down to a science and I'm not kidding. I swear to you, I'm not making this up. High level NBA general manager meetings were held. General managers, guys, mm -hmm. about the appropriate amount of peanut butter to put on a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> I am not. I love it. I that. love it. I should have been there. <laughs> and to God, I was not. And, and I, I actually, I felt they were a little, I thought they were a little light on the peanut butter. Not <laughs> I thought they were, I thought they were skimming a little on the peanut butterage. And no, you can't find chunky. There's no chunky to be had there. It's all, it, everything's creamy, which I go either way. Yeah, I'm sure some agents were calling up their, their GM saying, yeah, my guy, my guy's complaining to me. Cause now, I, some guys brought, some guys brought their chefs, but they oh, can't wow. get in. Uh, so like uh, literally they're like, there are ways like, like Chris Paul is very famously plant-based. Uh -huh. 
I very famously am not, by the way, but that's besides <laughs> the point. So like th there are accommodations for the vegan, for the plant-based, yeah. for the gluten-free, for whatever. There, there were accommodations made for some people and players have access to a lot of restaurants, a lot of other options. We had some of those options open up a little bit as I was leaving. So I think there'll be more options available to us when we go back, but you know, none of us are starving. That's the bottom line. Yeah, so we obviously talked about how much Zoom has changed it. With you being outside the bubble, what what's really different? You know, obviously you get you can be a part of every you know press conference. You can do all that. You can't be there in attendance, but you still can you know almost be almost a big part of it still. Yeah, uh, the next week, this coming week, I probably will get back to it a little bit. This this past week, I covered the lottery, and that's it. <laughs> I needed a break. Yeah, it's still we're so much to go. Like it seems like it's been forever. We are through four games of the first round. I mean, winning time is still coming, you know, like, I mean, and what we've seen so far, I thought the seeding games were great. The playing game was awesome to be at. That was the night I left. I covered that. And then I left to come home. Um, obviously the first round we're sitting here now doing this about an hour after Luca did a step back 29 footer to win a game on one ankle in a game that a shot he had to make to oh, avoid going God. down three, one yeah. without Porzingis. who does this? Yeah, it, was the biggest shot since, it was the biggest shot since Scott Knapp, probably. <laughs> I have a whole list. I'm going to randomly get hey, some we, stuff Give all the shout-outs. A lot of shout-outs. Don't out. worry. Our, our .moore is getting in there. There will be a double <laughs> order reference coming. Don't you worry. Ohio State still ain't played us again. They're scared. Nope. They're kind of scared of us. And they should be. I love and now I can say us, too, which I really yes. love. Yeah. Hey, you're rocking it. You're rocking it. <laughs> um. It's there's just a lot to do. I mean, I'll get back into it this week a little bit, but it's a long season. And really, since I mean, nobody cares about how much we work or whatever, but we weren't off from March 11th until now. I mean, there was stuff going on almost every day. I mean, you had to cover a pandemic, mm -hmm. you had to cover what's going on now, what's happening now, what's happening this. Da, da, da. And it's hard. It's hard without games to find content. It's hard without regular access to players, coaches, GMs, owners. It's hard to come up with content. We all had to do it. So we were pretty tired when we got there. And then when you get there, it's basketball for 14 hours a day. It's the biggest basketball camp in the world. And it's the longest basketball camp <laughs> in the world. So um, I don't usually take breaks in the playoffs, but this one, this, this past week was needed. And I feel a little fresher now and, you know, once we get to, once we get to conference finals and then obviously the finals, you're just on adrenaline then anyway because yeah. it's still. I think this year's finals will be like my tenth or eleventh, and it's still so cool. Like it's um, it's. No one's gonna cry for you. Oh, I'm tired tonight. Yeah, you're at the end of the finals. Like, and you didn't pay nothing to be there. So, I, I know how lucky I am. Believe me. No, that's that's real cool to hear. Um, typically. You know, you touched on it a little bit. You don't really get much of a break during a regular season because you have to cover stuff in all season. Do you normally take like a week break, or because I know you have free agency right after the finals? Yeah, summer league. Like, when is your normal break? So normally, <laughs> I married a journalist, which was critical because mm -hmm. she grudgingly gets it <laughs> sometimes. Like, she understands. Like, um. The, the circle of sports writer life when you cover the NBA is, especially being the national guy and being able to go to finals. And again, I'm very, very lucky. I know that. You, you, know, you go through playoffs. It's crazy. You get to the finals. It's crazy. Then there's a the draft. 
Then there's free agency. Uh, usually free agency, they start signing guys around the time I go to Vegas for summer league. Summer league is a critical time because the whole league is there. Usually it's a critical time, obviously this year, you know, yeah. <laughs> everything now different. Um, and then usually right after summer league, I take two weeks. Uh, we go on a cruise and then I get another week. And then keep in mind, like at that point, I, mean, I just don't cover the NBA. Mm-hmm. There's college football. There's the NFL. There's everything else we do. I've got Olympic beats. I've got stuff like that. So I get off that cruise ship and I go right into college football pretty much. And again, it's, it's cool. You just, you just, you stay really, really busy and I don't mind. I mean, I love doing what I do. And, but those weeks that you're away, you really got to get your time because it's tough to find a break in the NBA season. Like, you know, when, when the heat had LeBron and now that the heat are good again, you pretty much can pencil them in for playing on Christmas. That means you don't get Christmas off. Um, there's a, there's another sports writer for the AP, also assigned to Miami. He and I live in the same town. We live in a town called Miami Lakes. They were at our house for Thanksgiving, for dessert for Thanksgiving one year, when both of our phones rang simultaneously, and the Marlins had made a trade on Thanksgiving night. Like, one of us had to do it. I was like, oh, crap. And he didn't have his laptop here with him, obviously. So I did. You just never know when the phone's going to ring. You never know when. So it's important to get your time. It's important to check out and take that downtime. Like I, I think the smartest thing the NCAA does is dead periods. Yeah. Like coaches need their reset. And really, recruits do too. I mean, everybody needs that downtime. Sports writers need a little bit of a dead period. Every <laughs> <now and then laughs> too. That was, that, that was going to be my, one of my next questions. You know, when I, when I think of you know, someone writing for the NBA or just a journalist in, in general, I imagine their phone going off at odd times, getting, you know, getting sources of information, you know, Hey, this is what I got. So I I can imagine you don't sleep a lot. Airplane mode is your friend. (laughs) The do not disturb function on iPhone is your friend. Um, It's hard. It's, it's hard. I mean, I, I get my sleep. I don't get a ton of it. Sometimes when it went the busiest times of year, you just don't. Um, But it's the job. And again, like Pat Riley, who obviously we all sort of, I mean, he's the tie in for everything. He's a 518 guy and he's here. I've kind of been following him around my whole life, basically. (laughs) Um, You know, Pat Riley calls us, calls sports in general, the toy department of human affairs. And people could hear that and say, why is he slamming us? But he's not. He understands our place. Like we are, we're entertainers. Mm-hmm. Players are entertainers. Writers are entertainers. We, we are providing, mean, we're not curing cancer. You know, we're not, we get that. Mm-hmm. But what we are doing is we're providing people for the two and a half hours that they're at the TU center for a game or for the five minutes they take to read one of my stories or for the 20 seconds it takes to see something I tweet and say, wow, he's an idiot. <laughs> and, and we're providing an escape from the real world. Mm-hmm. And that's why, it is important to do what we do. And I take it very seriously. It's a privilege to do what we do. I work in sports. Guys, I, I mean, I was a 6'1", 220, two guard in high school with like an 11 inch vertical who dunked one time, one, I got one down. And I can still tell you the exact date and who we were playing. Yeah. And the famous part of it was, it was in warmups. I got it down in warmups. Like, I, 
I hit 091 my last year of Babe Ruth baseball. I vote for the Hall of Fame. I can't play. I can't guard anybody. I never could, even when I was good at this game. I couldn't guard anybody. I go to the NBA Finals. I'm an NBA awards voter. I'm the luckiest guy ever, ever. And a lot of it is, like, people ask me, like, you didn't go to Siena? No, I didn't. But, like, why do I, why do I still feel such an affinity for Siena? Like, I say this openly. If it hadn't been for those couple, three years that I was covering Siena College, I wouldn't be covering the Miami Heat right now. I just wouldn't. I think I learned so much in that time. Like, Siena is a huge part of me, not just because I was a fan growing up, because I went to camps, because I idolized Mike Dean, because I idolized everyone on those teams except Tom Herter. Just full <laughs> stop, never. Um, love everybody in the Herter house except yeah. him. They know that. Um, Meg actually got me in trouble in the bubble, which is a story I'll tell you in a minute. Um, they don't even know that story yet, but I'm going to tell the story. <laughs> I, I love – I just love what the college means to our area and covering Siena. It's cover when you cover Siena in Albany, you're covering the Yankees in New York. It's the same deal. And it prepares you for whatever else. And I take the same approach to covering Siena as I do covering the league right now. I just try to work hard because I love what I do. It's I cover games. There are no blisters on my hands. I haven't dug anything in 30 years. It's great. I love this gig. Nah, that's, that, that's, that's a blessing, man. You know, like, I'm you saying all this, I'm just like, wow, you know, like, that's that's, that's really cool. I got to tell you the Megan Herter story. Right, I got to tell you that real quick. They do not know this is coming, by the way. <laughs> I, I hope when they hear this. So I, I packed, like, I overpack. That's, like, one of my things when I travel. I overpack. And I was going up there for, like, you know, a billion days. So, of yeah. course, I overpacked. <laughs> so one day I wasn't really looking, and I just grabbed – a polo, like, thank God it's kind of low-key up there. So, like, polo and a pair of shorts, and, you know, you were fine. So I grabbed khaki shorts, the official sports writer uniform, you know, a pair of khaki shorts and a black polo, <laughs> put it on. And I'm like, all right, where am I going today? Looking at the list, I'm like, all right, I'm going to go cover the Spurs. So, Because the Spurs were a great story in the bubble. You know, are they going to extend their playoff streak? Anytime you get to be around Greg Popovich, you know, I get to go to the Olympics, Pop's the Olympic coach. I was like, it's a no-brainer. I'm looking at the schedule. I'm going to a Spurs game not paying attention to what I had on. Rudy Gay has a big game for the Spurs. Rudy Gay is one of the guys in the post-game Zoom. And they're like, you know, their PR guy is a guy named Tom James. And he sees a couple of us in the room and we're not logged into Zoom. And he's like, do you have any questions? Tim, do you have any questions? And I'm like, yeah, Rudy, how you doing? Tim Reynolds from the AP. And Rudy looks at me and goes, I ain't talking to you. And I'm like, like I'm scrolling through like, what did I tweet? <laughs> what did I do? Well, Meg committed to Providence. Uh, Rudy went to UConn. <laughs> Guess what dummy had on that day? He had on the Providence polo he bought when, when Meg committed. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm interviewing Rudy Gay. And he's like, why are you in a Providence shirt? I'm like, it's a long story. And I never told him the story. I was like, <laughs> like so yeah. So, so Megan Herter got me in trouble in the book. Wow. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. So tell me, you know, you mentioned on the tour, like, what did I tweet? Is that a thought that comes to mind when, like, people just blow up your mentions or, like, NBA players come across you? Like, how, has Twitter gotten you any trouble? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Plenty of trouble. <laughs> I mean, if Twitter existed back when I covered Sienna, 
it a bit a problem <laughs> because the Sienna message boards. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I mean, every coach, every player, every beat writer, we all felt the wrath from those guys. And I listen, I appreciate it now. Like mm -hmm. they are so passionate. Oh yeah. They're a little over the top. Sometimes <laughs> and a couple of them have followed. A couple of them are still with me on Twitter. Like a couple of them are still. Mm -hmm. They don't antagonize so much anymore. But you appreciate the passion. There, there are times like, especially in these times, like you can't tweet any. Like we try, the AP is a very neutral outlet. Mm -hmm. You know, we try to be very, very fair. We tell both sides of the story. Like I'll never get involved in a. Like my my personal views on politics or virus or I mean you know it was risky for me a couple I've tweeted a couple of times hey wear a mask if you want to see college football this year if you want to see the NBA again anytime soon put on your, put, put your mask on that's kind of like risque yeah. for our place it's pretty common sense but, <laughs> but people who don't people who don't appreciate the mask don't think it's necessary whatever you're offending them and so we really can't do that in what I do so you got to be you, you got to be pretty careful. There have been times I've tweeted stats that have been wrong, mm -hmm. and you own it. But, like, I mean, we're not perfect. I make mistakes. I made two really stupid mistakes in the bubble in stories, which is just the worst. It's the worst. I have to write that correction. Um, we're human. We, we yep. make them. But on Twitter, if you get something wrong, there's always that guy. Or the guy who wants to correct you and the guy who claims that you got something wrong when you're not. And so I'm like, I'm arguing with a guy who's got like three followers. I'm yeah, like, but I was gonna say bothering? that. <laughs> Why am I bothering with you? Come on. I got ripped. Somebody picked up a tweet when what was the tournament that, that we won? I say we. What was the tournament? The CBI? Yeah. yeah. So I'm like live tweeting that game. <laughs> A game three in the arc. I'm live tweeting it. It's so weird. Like, Tyler Johnson was so good in those three games. He's, he spends four years with the Heat. Every day I've got – I can't help myself from saying something to Tyler Johnson about Sienna, like, every day. Yes. Yeah. I had to. I had to. I appreciate that because I had to guard him, so I appreciate that. A friend of mine was – a good friend of mine was dating their coach at the time. And I'm like – why are you on TV and why are you sitting behind that bench? Like, what is going on? <laughs> um, yeah, Twitter gets you in trouble. But anyway, so the, the iconic photo of Cruz being lifted with a billion people on the floor of the arc, right? And so, of course, I tweeted out. I'm going crazy. And people who follow me in Miami or follow the Heat or follow for NBA, they don't care about any of this. I'm losing followers by like the hundreds probably at that point. And I don't care. I'm like, oh, this, this means a lot to me. Yeah. So somebody picked it up and they were like, either Tim Reynolds bet on this game or he just woke up or he just woke up today and said, I'm going to act a fool. I love that picture of Cruz. I love that picture of Cruz wow. so much. It was amazing. Yeah, they uh they use that picture on a lot of their like it's actually out they have a little banner outside the Times Union on like a light yeah. pole and it's him him being lifted up and you know he's like he's like the mayor I tell him he's like the mayor around here. I it thought I was the best walk on and then he just <laughs> okay, right behind it you. should be the background. You know how they can like fade like a photo kind of like on, yeah. on it should be the background on diplomas. <laughs> it should just say Siena College, 
you know, bachelor of whatever, and you need to see Cruz. <laughs> you have to see that. That's what it's all about. That's what makes Siena the, the, the special place it is. But Absolutely. You know, you're, you're, you're talking about the herders, and I know you're so cl really close friends with them. And if you, if you, follow, if you follow, if, like people that follow you know that, obviously Kevin Herter now plays in the NBA, was a yep. huge Dwayne Wade fan. You were a part of, you know, getting, getting Dwayne Wade to give him a jersey. Talk a little I bit about that. I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> I had nothing to do with it. I disavow the story. So what had happened was, so the Hawks were playing the Heat in a preseason game that year. And I think it was, it had to have been kept. Yeah, it was Kevin's rookie year, obviously, because he's just through year two and obviously Dwayne wasn't. Yeah. So it was the first time Kevin was going to play against D. Wade. And I had a really good relationship with Dwayne, obviously, from covering him from day one. And I've never asked him for like, the one thing. Well, one, you're not allowed to. You're not allowed <laughs> to ask these guys for anything. Like, yeah. and, I, and I wouldn't. Like, yeah. there are sometimes people would be like, "Can you sign something for me? Or can my, you know, can my daughter get this? Or can you know, whatever." Mm -hmm. Like, you have to. You can't. You can't. You have to. You have to treat these guys. You know not like your friends, but like you have to, you have to, you have to be respectful. Like you can't impose. Everybody's got their hand out in the NBA and you can't be one of those guys. You just can't. So I went up to him and I'm like, I never asked you for anything. Kevin wears three kind of in a weird way because of you and you're one of his favorite players. And like, it would mean the world to him if you could just like give him a shoe tonight or something. Yeah. And Dwayne gave me that look. <laughs> Dwayne had a look like the, really? Did you just do that? And I'm like, uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't think anything of it. He goes, well, I'm, I'm kind of planning to do something this year with my stuff. So I'll, I'll think about it. And I'm like, hey, whatever you can. Sure. Thank you. I'd arranged like to get like a picture, like, an in like if Kevin was guarding Dwayne or vice versa. I knew we were going to get a picture of it. So I was just going to blow that up and give it to Kevin. Like if nothing sure. else failed, like it was still a big deal. So we get to that last Hawks and I never hand to God, never mentioned it to Dwayne again. Yeah. We get to that last heat Hawks game in Miami and we get out of the locker rooms close at six 45 for a seven 30 game. We get kicked out 45 minutes before the game. And just as I'm leaving the locker room, D Wade comes out. And he goes, I got something for you tonight. Wow. Oh, he said to me, <laughs> oh, wow. I got something for you tonight. I'm like, what you mean? He goes, I'm going to take care of your boy. Oh, wow. And I'm like, oh, my God, he's going to drop 50 on Kevin. Oh, my God. <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> oh, my God, I'm going to get Kevin killed. <laughs> but then I figure it out. Mm. So... I call Kevin's parents. I do not tell Kevin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I, I mean, by, by then the locker rooms are closed and I wouldn't do that anyway. Yeah. I call the herders. I call the house in Clifton Park and I'm like, I know you guys are watching the game. Well, actually, we're out. We're at a game. We're going to watch it later. I'm like, no, 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 no. Get home. Like, I think the girls might have had a game at Shen or something. Yeah. Like that. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you got to watch the end live. That's all I'm going to tell you. You got to <laughs> watch the ending live. So they get to the end and 
Trey had already gotten a D-Wade jersey. Mm-hmm. Game ends. Kevin's going up the tunnel. Trey is in position. Trey's yeah. getting ready to get the second <laughs> D-Wade jersey. That, yeah. Trey, Trey has no shame. None. <laughs> Dwayne pulls Kevin out of the hallway leading. It's a short hallway. So he had to move fast. And Kevin's like, what? He brings him out and does the jersey swap. And I'll tell you, that was one of absolutely the coolest nights I've ever had in 29 years of doing this job. Because, and Dwayne afterward didn't throw me under the bus. Like he said, someone asked him about it afterward. And he was like, a friend of mine said something to me a long time ago that he was a big fan of mine and da 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 da. The fact that he remembered that for six months with everybody wanting his jerseys, (laughs) it was just one of the coolest nights. And what made it cool was it was totally authentic. Like I said to him in October, man, he'd love one of your sneakers. I mean, guys exchange sneakers all the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Dwayne would often wear a pair for a half. Like he <laughs> would change his shoes at halftime and they'd never be seen again. So it's not uncommon. Like you're not asking for like a special favor for that. Sure. But for ta- the fact that he remembered made it so cool. One of the last ones, because it was so late in the year, yeah. um, just the backstory. I mean, look at the guys he exchanged them with, you know. Mellow, Bron, um, you know, CP3, mm. Kevin. Like, that was so cool <laughs> to me. And, and by the way, Kevin's, I mean, obviously, Kevin's going to be in this league for as long as Kevin wants to play. Like, yeah. Kevin, Kevin's going to be in this league. This sure. ain't no joke. And Kevin's going to be in the league for a while. Um, he's going to be in, when he's done, it's going to be, he's going to be an established NBA guy with a lot of stuff under his name. But to be there that night for that moment, Unbelievable. Yeah, I have goosebumps, man. That, that says a lot about about Dwayne Wade as a person. Um, just, just to ch- and, change. And by the way, I didn't. I didn't go to his people. Like it was none of that. Like it wasn't yeah. like. I mean, there was no like. There was nobody who put something in Outlook and reminded him. Like he just <laughs> remembered from a random shoot around in October. Yeah, but it also speaks to like. You know, Kevin was on some radars. You know, Kev, guys knew guys in the league knew who Kevin was. Oh, definitely. You know, at first he was, okay, um, okay, Rook, um, you know, you know, as Shaq would say, barbecue chicken, Come. <laughs> we're going at the Rook tonight. Yeah. Um, the Rook held his own pretty good. <laughs> so, um, you know, considering he was supposed to be a junior at Maryland at the time, the Rook yeah. did pretty good. So it speaks to of the respect that guys had for Kevin. He was, yeah. he, he was easy to remember because he made you remember. Nah, he's, I mean, I remember him playing in the summertime with us, uh, you know, when I was at Siena coming through, and I'm just like, who is this kid? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, every time he comes, he's getting better and taller and longer, and he's shooting from further and dunking. I'm just like, oh, yeah, he's, he's going to be special. He's definitely well, going to be special. The funny thing, like, I still laugh at people when they call him a shooter. He's mm-hmm. not a shooter. <laughs> His best skill is passing, mm-hmm. and he's gotten so much better at all of it. I mean, yes, and he is an elite shooter. He's, he's going to be one of those guys who flirts with 50-40-90 one of yeah. these years. He's going to be one of those guys. I see it. Um, it's just he's so smart, and the game is so easy for him. And now that it's slowing down, this year could be, assuming there is a season and assuming it happens anytime before he turns 30, um, if they <laughs> start playing again, um, the Hawks are going to be a team. And, and you know, he's – you know, nobody really spends their whole career in one place anymore, but he's, he's going to, 
he's going to be a guy who some people are asking about. Like if somebody's looking for a player, yeah. a guy who can fill a lot of roles, a guy who can be that great wing passer, a guy, who can, a guy with that range, a guy with some ups. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to be a guy that people in this league are taking note of when they're looking to fill out some rosters. If the Hawks struggle again next year, if they start trading off assets, something like that. I mean, who knows? He's, but yeah, that, it was real. Thank goodness that game was in Miami. So I could be, if a game was in Atlanta, I wouldn't have been there. Yeah. So the fact it was in Miami and I got to like see it. Yeah. Oh, so dope. Oh yeah. Priceless. So speaking of the guy, another guy who's obviously established himself really well, LeBron James, talk about the decision, you know, him coming to Miami, the whole pre parade, I, I want to call it. How was covering all that? Well, all right. So he, the decision was July 8th, 2010. Okay. And there were a few of us who kind of knew on July 7th. Mm-hmm. Well, first off, and there are, heat got, there are people in the Heat organization who have my back on this. <laughs> I said it in like April that Pat was getting all of them. Really? Like, they're getting all of them. <laughs> it's just going to happen. They're getting everybody. And then on like July 3rd, I was like, oh, it's over. D Wade's going to D Wade's going to Chicago. Josh <laughs> is gonna follow him there. Like, uh, we're gonna end up with like, you know, I don't know, like some kid from Wake Forest, probably. Who knew like, where we were gonna end up with? So I did say it and then I kind of backed off, but then I took full credit for saying it again when they got them all. There you go. So the day before we heard, so it the whole thing started. Chris told Dwayne he was going to Miami. Chris told Dwayne, I want to be in Miami. Chris was the, Chris was the, the biggest part of the whole thing because he was the first to decide. So when Chris said Miami, then Dwayne was like, cool, I'm in. So now they've got a one and a two. They've got a one-two punch. They're ready. And then it's kind of up to Brock. Chris decided on the sixth. Dwayne decided that night they announced it around like lunchtime on the seventh. Mm-hmm. Both did like a side-by-side ESPN thing <laughs> at a summer camp that Dwayne was running. Mm-hmm. So, okay, that's all out now. And then that night I get told, get ready. He's coming. And I'm like, I ain't going to tweet this and be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I, I remember at that time I had like a, like a trio phone mm-hmm. it was like a big thick blackberry <laughs> and the nba retweeted something of mine mm-hmm. so i would get like an email notification every time i would get a new follower i got like 800 new followers that day <laughs> the trio died the trio was like in constant <laughs> after that retweet it blew up literally my phone never worked again so now i'm in free agency a day before lebron's coming and i ain't got a cell phone that works so i was like <laughs> Oh my God, what am I going to do? Got that problem solved. Um, had the story ready, never obviously didn't go with it because he could have woken up and changed his mind. That's not uncommon in free agency. You never knew what he was going to say. We got told the show starts at nine. He's going to announce at 9.10. 9.10 became 9.15. 9.15 became 9.20. Dude said it at 9.27. Those were the longest 17 minutes in basketball history. <laughs> right there so the funny part was my wife I was sitting downstairs in my my living room when he said it I just started hitting send on stories that we already had written yep send 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 
my wife grabs our dog, walks upstairs and says, says to the dog, say, say bye to daddy, see him in five years. <laughs> it kind of worked out that way. Um, we went, I went to the airport that night when Bron flew in, followed the caravan to this club on Miami Beach called Live. The only time I was ever at Live. <laughs> um, I don't go out a lot. <laughs> I was there that night. It was kind of cool. Um, it was amazing. The party, the infamous party the next night, the parade, as you call it. Yeah. <laughs> so that thing, true story. When Shaq came to Miami, he pulled up on an 18-wheeler, the diesel. You know, he pulled up on an 18-wheeler in front of the arena. He had like this super soaker squirt gun. And it's just like, you know, I'm going to shoot you. And he's squirting people. And I guarantee a championship and all that. And it was, it was great. Well, when Shaq left here in 08, the breakup was bad. Like, it was a bad breakup. And there was some hurt feelings. So what the Heat wanted to do was we're having it. Like we're going to keep Dwayne. They're saying this. They're, they're saying we're going to keep Dwayne. And we're going to bring in someone else, whether it's Mello, whether it's Amari, other guys that were targets that summer. Whoever we get with Dwayne, we're having a party. And we're going to do it bigger than we did Shaquille. That's, so that party was planned long before the Heat knew they were getting LeBron James. Okay. So they had this concept, and Pat was very leery of the party idea. Mm-hmm. Ownership wasn't a huge fan, but it, it was so exciting for the fan base. They, they, 14,000 tickets went in two hours, and they were all free, but you still had to go on Ticketmaster and get them and the whole thing. Mm-hmm. They were gone in two hours. So the parties will start at 7. It's Miami. Nothing starts on time. <laughs> they come out around 8.30. The reason they can, can, didn't come out until that late was they were upstairs in the arena figuring out their contracts, literally figuring out how much money to give back yeah. to, get, to keep Udonis Haslam, who was going to Denver for $34 million. UD stayed in Miami for 20 Guys don't leave $14 million on the table when it's like half a contract. UD yeah. did that. They were trying to figure out how much do we have for Mike Miller. All right, it's going to take five to get Mike. Okay, we all got to give back now another million five. Like, they were figuring all that out. And then right when the party was about to start, they realized Chris Bosh never signed the last page of his contract. And they were so afraid something was going to go wrong, like on this forklift that was lifting the guys up onto the stage. They made them stop. Chris signed it. Chris finally signed the thing, and then they started the party. The whole not one, not two, not three. Yeah, he came here to win more than that. It wasn't a guarantee, but it made people hate Miami so much. Because not only did Pat get all of them and break everybody's heart, but then you start acting a fool before you've won a game. Yeah. The league was never happier than when the Dallas Mavericks won that title in 2020. (laughs) But it changed everything. And they needed to go through that pain. Yeah. Because then 12 and 13 happened, and by 14, they knew. They knew that season that the run was over. They knew they didn't have it. Um, guys, had told me, like, in February, it's like, I don't see it. I don't think anyone in the room thought Braun was going to leave them that early. I think they thought Braun would stick around at least one more year, but, you know, we all know how it ended. And yeah. worked out great for Braun. He got to bring Cleveland a title. The Heat are really good again now. All's well that ends well. But that – that it's going to be really tough to top free agency 2010 until next year 
when everybody is a free agent, including Giannis. And oh, by the way, Pat Riley's going to have some money to spend again next summer. So, I was going to say, I believe in Pat, man. He's going to get something up his sleeve for sure. Pat, Pat's got nine. Pat's got nine rings from coaching and playing and GM and all this. He's got nine. Did you, uh, did, you ever, more. did you ever think Udonis would still be playing? Udonis is never leaving. <laughs> <laughs> so the other night, UD played the last, the last seeding game uh-huh. in the bubble. UD started his first start in like 30 years or something. So <laughs> UD's coming off the floor, and he's walking up with Jimmy Butler, and he sees me in the back, and he goes, yo, how many more do you think? Two years or three years? I'm like, get a max. Get a max. <laughs> get it all, UD. He's coming back. I mean, he's so important. People in the league don't understand the Udonis Haslam thing. They just don't. Yeah. UD is so important. This is a team, you know, Duncan Robinson, yes, he's a four-year college player, but he's still young. Tyler Hero just turned 20 or 21. I think he's 20. Um, Bam is still young. You know, UD calls them his baby goats. They're the baby goats. He wants – heat culture is such a real thing. Mm-hmm. He needs to make sure that they fully embrace it, fully understand it, and then can make sure that it continues. So the Heat, well, you can have 17 guys on a roster now, now with the, with the two ways. Yeah. You can have 17 guys on a roster. It's probably never going to play more than 11. So if you're filling it out with veteran minimum contacts, contracts anyway, why not keep Udonis Haslam around? It's great. Mm-hmm. He's, he's the coach in the locker room. He's the enforcer. If they play a crappy first half, he's in there lighting things on fire before Spo ever has to go in. That's awesome. And the guys still have ultimate respect for UD. Yep. I know 29 other teams don't get it, but mm-hmm. he's so important to what they do. And, yes, he's coming back next year for year 18. <laughs> At 41 years old, he's coming back. I, I love it. I love it. Uh, talk about how, I mean, even this year, the kind of the unknowns, you know, from Miami, they kind of broke out in the scene with, with Duncan Robinson, um, Kendrick Nunn. Talk about kind of that covering them this year and their emergence. I mean, I didn't know what to expect from this team mm-hmm. because, first of all, Jimmy's kind of a handful. Jimmy's <laughs> so we've heard. Jimmy's kind of a handful to cover. <laughs> he is what he is. I mean, he's, but he's he's a challenge to cover. I'll say that. Um, I mean. You know, when you look at, okay, they, they had Kelly Olenek, they had Goran Dragic. Um, at the time, they had Dion and me being, you know, growing up where I grew up, I love Syracuse as well. Um, just don't, don't get it misunderstood if it's ever Siena versus Syracuse in the NCAA game. Yes, you know, sir. <laughs> Anyone else, I'm a Cuse guy, but you know, us against them, I root for us. Um, I thought they had... To be, a, I thought they'd be a good team. If you told me Kendrick Nunn was going to start for this team, Duncan Robinson was going to set, going to destroy the Heat single season record for three pointers, I'd have been like, "Well, hope it's a good lottery. Hope it's a good lottery." <laughs> like I would have had no clue how good they are. Um, Tyler Hero, kid impressed us from day one with the swag. Like he just, I mean. Tyler Hero's first call, the night that he gets drafted, he's in New York. He's wearing a suit that normal humans could not pull off. <laughs> and this 18, 19-year-old kid is on the phone trying to educate a bunch of guys who look and dress like me 
what drip means. And I'm like, <laughs> this kid is going to be special. Like, I'm like, Tyler, what do you mean drip? And he's like, really? <laughs> so it's, you knew this kid had some swag to him. Um, they just, Jimmy set the tone in camp. Jimmy would go work out at 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the morning, and that was real. And then the first day, guys thought it was a joke. Second day, a few guys joined him. Third day, half the team was in there. And it set the tone. Um, this team turned over a lot. You know, Justice Winslow kind of needed a new beginning. Um, you know, the Dion situation got really bad after his plane incident. James Johnson was a contract and kind of like between roles anyway. Like he, he was a contract that sort of, if you could extricate yourself from it, that's good. Mm-hmm. They have Justice Winslow, Dion Waiters, and James Johnson. They turn that into Andre Iguodala, <laughs> who has been to the last five NBA finals. As <laughs> they turn into Iguodala, Solomon Hill, and Jay Crowder, all of whom have played big roles for them. Yeah. It was just a master stroke by the Heat. So the whole year has been fun to watch. Everything, everything sort of evolve and grow. But if Duncan Robinson showed up in Loudonville over the summer, wearing his Williams gear. <laughs> Y'all be like, who is this D3 yep. kid? Yeah. Who is this D3 guy? Well, it just shows you that it's a good lesson yeah. that there's really good ballers in D3. And there's good ballers in D2. And there's good ballers in mid-majors. I hate the term mid-majors. I hate the term mid-majors. <laughs> there are guys in the MAC who could go to the league, who should go to the league. There's one at Siena right now who could be in the league, yeah. period. Going to have to work like mad to get there, but let's not forget that there are really good ballers everywhere. Duncan Robinson is the perfect player for this team right now in that he has a skill. He had the best true shooting season in NBA history for a guard. Steph never did what Duncan Robinson did in terms of true shooting this year. It's crazy. This guy was unplayable last year, guys. He couldn't guard anybody. He, he's playing out there in Brooklyn in game 82, Dwayne's last game. Duncan's lost. There's no other plays. And now he's like, without him, it's like, what would they do? Yeah. They are so set up. And we haven't even mentioned Bam. I know. Oh, man. Bam is, and I had him All-NBA on my ballot this year. Mm-hmm. Bam's a future All-NBA guy. Bam's going to be a super max guy. And the Heat control them all. They're all kids. The Heat have them all under contract for the next few years. It's great. They got Kendrick Nunn for a million dollars a year. A million dollars a year. That's a steal in the NBA. It's an absolute steal. Nice coupon. (laughs) They are going to be a fun, fun team for a while. Even with Jimmy, who is not fun. (laughs) (laughs) Who who would you say say one of the hardest uh, people you've ever had to interview? So... Shaq used to not do it. Shaq wouldn't do a pregame interview with like the local beat writers without me submitting to a headlock. <laughs> he would have me in a headlock. Shaq bit me. <laughs> Shaq bit me. What? <laughs> so Shaq and Dwayne are doing this appearance in 2004, right? A promotional appearance for Nestle Crunch, the candy bar. I'll never forget it because I got bit by a Hall of Famer. I'm not going to forget it. <laughs> so 
picture, if you will, like Shaq and Dwayne are sitting in like those, you know, those director's chairs that kind of like fold up, whatever. They're sitting in those. And so it's Shaq, then Dwayne, and I'm standing over here next to Shaq. And we're all interviewing. There's like this semicircle of reporters around them. And I'm standing to Shaq's left. And Dwayne's talking over here. And I like lean over like this with my microphone. So I've got my hand out like this with my mic. And I'm not paying attention, but like my arm's kind of like in front of Shaq. I'm trying to be able to hear Dwayne. Dwayne was kind of like soft-spoken at that time. Yeah. Dwayne's a kid. And next thing I know, I feel this enormous mouth like swallow my shoulder. <laughs> and that's big fella. That's what he does. He, uh, I'll tell you one of the coolest things was when he retired, like for real retired, he invited, like he sent like letters, like handwritten letters um, to, I can't remember if it was to the house or to the office, but he invited like 10 of us to his house in Orlando for the retirement announcement. And I got to be one of those guys. And I wasn't even, like he retired as a member of the Celtics. Remember, he didn't retire as a Heat guy. It was so cool to be there for that. Like I walked in, they tell you to park kind of like above the house and walk down in these mansions everywhere. <laughs> and I, so I get down to Shaq's house and the garage is open. And it's clearly his garage because it's got the Superman logo on the floor and the whole bit. So I just like, I don't know where I'm going. Like there's no directions. There's no explanation. I walk into the house. His mom, I turn right coming in. I open the garage door. I walk in. I turn right, I walk into the kitchen. His mother is standing there cooking at 11 o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, hi, and she goes, are you here for the event? It's down in the gym. So I just, just follow that hallway down there. She, the gym, <laughs> the man had an NBA gym in his house. The man had an NBA gym in his house. Like, he's like going around like, did you get enough to eat? Like, Shaq, I gotta write a story, I gotta get on a plane, I gotta get to Dallas, I'm got, I gotta get to the finals, you know, like I'm, here on an off day in the finals before I go to Dallas, like take take something to go. Take some. Let me make you a sandwich to go. Like the coolest guy. Like big fella. Again, who am I? I'm nobody. And the fact that I've gotten to like tell stories about these guys. Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong. Like I still, if they told me tomorrow that you can't cover the NBA anymore, you got to cover Sienna again. I'd be like, cool, let's go. <laughs> so like it would still be cool. It's so great to tell stories of this game, but. I mean, who has a Shaq bit him story? I can't say I can't say I've ever heard that. <laughs> no, no, by the for the record, no Sienna player has ever been. No, well, <laughs> we'll, we'll try to keep it that way. Hammer would not allow that. Hammer, Hammer wouldn't be down with that. Especially now. <laughs> especially now, yeah. Especially in the COVID era, Hammer be like, "Did you bite him through the mask at least?" <laughs> how did that work? Yeah. How, how is your relationship with Pat Riley? Oh, it's, I mean, I'm very fortunate that um, we don't talk all the time. Like, he doesn't do a lot of media anymore. He tries to be kind of like in the background guy. Um, it's Eric Spolster's team. He tries to be very respectful of that. Um, like, if I see him, um, he wrote he wrote the foreword to a book that I was involved in, and the book is kind of like stuck right now because the world kind of all changed, but he wrote a foreword for a book that I was doing. Like, like I was amazed that he did that. Um, if I need him, I can call him. You know, I, I texted him on his birthday. I texted him. He, he and his wife recently celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. And I texted him and I didn't hear back and I didn't think anything of it. And my wife and I are lying in bed and it's like midnight that night. 
And I hadn't, I hadn't put my phone on silent. And it was during the pandemic, I remember that. And, but my phone wasn't on silent. So the text, you know, the noise goes off and my wife's like, who's texting you at midnight? And I'm like, let me look. Oh, it's Riles. It's <laughs> with this really nice note back about how, you know, thanks for remembering and blah, 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 blah. And it was just, you know, it was just like a nice story about him and his wife. And I was like, it, it never gets old. Like, I still get nervous when I'm in a room with Pat. Like, I still get nervous that for all the, I've, I've been to the White House, I've met presidents, I've interviewed presidents, the people I've met, the people I've seen, the stuff, I mean, again, it, it's kind of all very egocentric to list it all, so I try not to. Yeah. Around Pat, I get nervous. Like, yeah. seriously, I, it's, I mean, that, he's the guy. He's, he's the guy. <laughs> he's right. <laughs> And it's, it's very, very cool to, um, it's very cool to be able to cover the team that he built every day. In fact, when I moved here, um, I applied for a job with the Heat and it was a job I wasn't qualified for. And I made it through like, I can't remember, I made it through at least like one round of the job process, like of the interview process, because one of the stories I sent them was a story I had done when Pat Riley went into some Capital Region Hall of Fame, I went to, I went to uh, Saratoga in 99 and covered it. And you put a story about Riles in a clip package that you, when you're applying for a writing job with the Heat, it gets noticed a little bit. So it's, I, it's, I, it's, I'm very, very lucky. Again, I just, I'm lucky in general. I just am to know the people I know. But if I absolutely need a quote tonight from Pat Riley, I can get it. That's, that's, that blows my mind. That's, you're very, you're in a great position. <laughs> I'm so lucky. I'm honest to God. I know how lucky I am. So let's uh, let's change a little gears. Obviously, you know, we talk both of us, all of us being you know affiliated with Sienna, we like Sienna a lot. Talk a little bit about your connection with Allie Jacks. I know you traveled with them in the summer a couple years back. Uh, what what was that journey like? I mean, it's kind of an unusual thing when you live here. You're 90 miles from Cuba, and but obviously you don't go to Cuba. And, you know, I think most people know this, but if you don't, you know, South Florida, the Miami area has just an enormous Cuban American population. And I had some friends that were really bothered by the fact that I went to Cuba because even going there for four days and, and we stayed in a hotel and I can't, I didn't buy like souvenirs. I didn't do like the whole cigar rum thing. <laughs> but, um, just going there, it, it rubs some people here the wrong way because, of course, the government controls everything and you are de facto funding mm -hmm. the party. And some people here were not very pleased with me about that. But, you know, I, I think I just, I can't remember how I met Allie. I think it was just Twitter. I think she was just wondering who the crazy person was who would tweet at her <laughs> um, about Sienna women's basketball. And I thought I had to explain to her, I'm not really a stalker. I mean, kind of, but not really a stalker. Like there's a history with it. Um, I think she's great. I think she's fabulous. The run of bad luck that they've had with injuries. I mean, Alex, I, I don't care. I don't care what the records say. I don't care what the boards say about Allie, the message boards again. Allie Jackson coach. Allie Jacks is a national champion player. And I just love her story. I love her toughness. I, everything, like I just huge fan. So when I found out they were going, I'm like, I gotta go. 
you got to let me go with you. <laughs> and it actually was a pretty easy sell on her part. Um, and it was, you know, a short trip for us. It was an affordable trip. It was, it wasn't going to cost that much. It was going to be an unbelievable story. They were kind of one of the last teams that made it to Cuba before the rules changed. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they went, I can't remember the time. I can't remember if it was either late in the Obama administration or early in the Trump administration, but you know, rules changed about how much you could come in and out of Cuba. They were one of the last teams to go down there and to go down there and, and play in historic buildings to see the sites, to experience what they, what they experienced. It's, it's a totally different world, but it was so, I think it was because people like John Dargenio and Jason Rich and other people on the Santa program, like Allie knew me, but didn't really knew me, but she knew she could trust me because they trusted me. And it was so cool. I mean, she let me have pretty much all access to everything. I think I could kind of see whatever I wanted. Um, And it made for a great story. And it was, it was so much fun. She has just the nicest kids and they had a lot out of it and they didn't mind some weird guy being with them. I remember the only like misstep was like, I got on the bus the first day in Havana and I need to tell you guys, everybody's got their superstitions about yep. where to sit. Sure. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, everyone. And I think I, can't, I took someone's seat. I can't remember <laughs> whose I took, but it, it was, somebody made it not a thing but it was kind of going to be a thing but then i remembered exactly like all right for future reference i am in the seventh seat on the right hand side no matter what for the rest of this trip so um it was just it was a neat story it was only like a four-day trip but it's a trip i'll never forget and i you just you it was especially cool to be like nobody from the, nobody from capital region could go so i was also doing it i mean the ap our stuff goes everywhere mm-hmm. like the tu the gazette you know, the post-star, whatever the case may be, they had access to what I was writing. They had access to the videos. They had access to all of it. I mean, they all did their own thing, I think, but still it was cool to be there like representing the capital region as well. Definitely. And obviously you, you traveled a lot with Sienna during your time there. Talk about an experience um, during Thanksgiving when, when the Saints went to Hawaii. Yeah, I was going to get engaged. That's the story from Hawaii. So they're playing in the Hawaii Pacific Tournament in 2000. Um, and you know, my wife was my girlfriend at the time and she was going to come out and then she got pneumonia and it was, it was a short trip to, it's a long way to go for six days. Yeah. And let's face it, five of the six days were going to be very basketball centric. Like it wasn't going to be a great trip to bring a girlfriend or a wife on because unless you're really into seeing us play Utah State or whoever the heck was in that tournament. So um, the Herders were there, Tom and Aaron. Tom uh, Tom was doing some of the radio analyst stuff at the time, and Aaron's his wife. Joe Castellano was, um, you know, he was the play-by-play guy, his wife at the time, and me. I think we were the media contingent. I don't think anybody else went. Um, it's a long freaking flight from Newark. I know that. It was like 11 hours, and I'm not a great flyer. I've gotten better over the years, but then I was not a very good flyer. It was, it was an experience, but yeah, I was supposed to get engaged on that trip and it didn't happen. So I got engaged <laughs> in Miami a couple months later and then went to a heat game that night. Again, not knowing I would, the heat would be such a big part of our lives later <laughs> on, but I was like, all right, 6.30, game starts at 7.30. We got to leave by seven to get there. So, all right, here's the ring. Yes, no, you in? Cool. <laughs> Wait, 
all right, call your mom real quick. We got to go because these are really good seats. And Lamar Odom's playing. The, the Clippers are here. I want to see Lamar. So yeah. let's go. So sure. My wife kind of figured out right away that basketball was going to be a really big part of whatever, whatever, whatever roads we were going to go down for the next eternity. Basketball is going to be a big part of it. Yes. Even though you're, even though obviously you're down in Miami, you're still, as you've talked about over and over, still follow Sienna, still cover it. I think I want to say before Jamie and got the job, I remember you tweeted something kind of like the Pope. There was some smoke coming out of the chimney. You know, it was coming down. You're getting ready to, you know, you knew something was up and something was coming. But talk about a story where when Paul Hugh was leaving Siena, how, how you got that got that out? So that was it was pre 9-11, first of all. And I need to say that for a reason. So we kind of knew Paul was they'd been like 24 and nine. And he'd won like 66 games in three years. We kind of knew Paul was leaving. And coaching searches get weird. Like, I mean, I remember Rich Becker was working for the Fox station at the time, and he and I were like hiding in bushes at Siena, like trying to find like information. And it was, uh, we're not like hiding, but like, yeah, we were loitering slash trespassing a lot, I guess you could say. So I get the brilliant idea at the time because I heard that he was going to Atlanta for the second time that he'd interviewed with Atlanta somewhere else that they had interviewed offsite. And now he's going to Atlanta. And so I called Georgia tech and I'm like, just trying to confirm there's a press conference. And they're like, well, we're not confirming that. They didn't say no. They said, we're not confirming that. Well, nine 11 obviously changed everything in terms of airport security and airline security. Atlanta is a Delta hub. Albany is a Delta hub. If Paul's flying there, he's flying on Delta. So I called Delta. I'm going to go to jail. I called Delta. I called Delta and I'm like, yeah, hi, my name is Paul Hewitt. I'm trying to confirm I have a reservation on a flight from Albany to Atlanta. I'm like, my secretary left me it, but I can't read her handwriting. I'm just making up some crap. So they're like, yes, Mr. Hewitt, you're in 1A, and is Donette with you? I was like, that's my wife. She goes, you're in 1C. She's in 1C. And you don't take your wife to an interview. You take sure. your wife to a press conference. Press conference. <laughs> so I write that he's going. This is a Sunday. I write that he's going. It's in the paper the next morning. And then 7 o'clock, I'm at Albany Airport, and now there's, there's no security. Like, yeah. I can go right to the gate then. Well, here comes Donette Hewitt walking down the hall, and she sees me and just like, kind of like a stare, like a weird stare. And then there's Paul, and he he was cool about it. He he wasn't that surprised to see me, but yeah, you know, we had a photographer there, and um, so yeah, we were able to get the story out by me breaking no fewer than like 17 federal laws. I'm sure. <laughs> I think the statute of limitations is gone, so I'm gone. Yeah, I think you're now. safe. I think I'm safe now, but that was, yeah, I'm not really proud of that story, <laughs> but, but it was, I mean, again, he had done, you know, he just, he had three perfect years at Siena. He came there as a guy who played ball at St. John Fisher and left as the hot name in college athletics. And people forget, he almost won a natty. I mean, they, they went to the national championship game, you know, really early in his time at, you know, he should be coaching. He's scouting now for the Clippers. I don't know why he's not in coaching because Paul's brilliant. Paul is absolutely brilliant. Um, 
He was hilarious after losses. Every game he lost at Siena, every one of them was the referee's fault. All 27 <laughs> losses was on the referees. He was all still a good friend, and I still see him from time to time. I haven't seen him in a while because obvious situations. But um, we connect in Vegas at Summer League. Like I said, the whole league's there. Um, he'll call me from time to time. Um, he's still a good friend and somebody I really look up to in this game. And it just speaks to, you know, you guys are learning this. You guys are still kids. You guys are still young. But the ties that you form at Siena, the bonds you form at Siena, whether you're a player, walk-on, coach, idiot, writer, whatever, they're for life. It's just that kind of place where the bonds, the relationships you develop at Siena are real. Yes, Siena is definitely a special place. Um, so rumor has it one of your best stories covering Siena actually came when uh, Siena was in Tampa for an NCAA tournament. Talk about covering that experience in that game. So I was with the AP um, then. It was 2008, and they were playing Vanderbilt. Mm-hmm. Um, they were the 13 seed, and everybody knows what happened. Um, uh we kind of beat the heck out of Vanderbilt that <laughs> night. So, and I made it very clear to the people who employ me that I am covering this game. Yes. Um, I'm writing this game because I knew they were going to win, so I'm doing this game. Um, an average story, like an average game story length, and keep in mind, too, like the AP, like we're not the Times Union, you know, like our stuff goes everywhere, mm-hmm. but like, the Los Angeles Times isn't running 700 words on a Siena game. Like yeah. there's 15 other games that day. Like, you know, they're, they're running little bits. That's what we kind of provide. We provide longer form for online, yeah. but not a lot of newspapers use our stuff. Not, not, no, they don't use it in full like that. Mm-hmm. Um, an average game story length is seven to 750 words. I wrote 1,392 on that game. <laughs> I basically had like Tay's family history in there, how Fran met his wife at Notre Dame, <laughs> the Stanford stuff. I had measles. I had everything in this game. Like it was just a walking, talking, breathing story of Siena basketball. And so part of the deal with that game was some of the Vanderbilt guys admitted after the game that they didn't know the names of the Siena players. Now, disrespect right there. We didn't know. So then that became a story. And then the next day, somebody asked me, like, why are you so obsessed with this story? And, like, four, before I could even answer, like, four people in the back of the room all said at once, he went there. And I'm like, no, he didn't. <laughs> go there. But, again, to, like, I remember, you know, when, when you work for us, when you work for the AP, you have to have a story ready, like, on deadline. Like, the minute the game goes final, Yes, we can go back into it and add quotes and rewrite it. But as soon as it goes final, we got a file. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sitting very close to the Siena radio guys at this game, meaning Tom Herter and I are like slap boxing each yeah. other the whole game because we're so excited that this is going to happen, right? Yeah. So all of a sudden, I forget to do a sort of a key part of my job, type anything. Oh. <laughs> There's three minutes to go in this game. I haven't written a word yet. So I just sit there and just, just bang it out. <laughs> and it worked out, but it was that first, the first version of that story probably wasn't exactly an award winner. I'll leave it at that. It was uh, <laughs> probably pretty sloppy, but again, just such a cool, what a great night to be there. And then I think a bunch of us went to 
the finest restaurant in all of Tampa after the game. We went to a Hooters to watch more NCAA basketball. And there was like 20 of us. And the bill, the bill looked like a CVS receipt. Like it's like three and a half feet long. And the best part of it was you can sit there all day, all night, drink beer and eat wings constantly. I'm telling you, we had like four tables, like jammed with people. And the bill was like 400 bucks. Like if the, we, we could not have had another ounce of, of food or drink and it worked out to like 20 bucks a piece. It was amazing. It was such a cool night. And the stories that got told that night, like it was, we'll never forget Greensboro. Obviously, you know, you just, you'd never forget like the great moments. You never forget Rob Connors making the three to beat Iona. You never forget Sienna coming from 21 down in the second half with a 12 minute timeout, 21 down on a Sunday afternoon at then the Pepsi arena to beat Canisius. Like you never forget the great days. That was a great day. And it was so cool to be part of. And the, the bad losses stick with you too. You know, those tough nights down in New Rochelle when, and you know, those nights come back a little, but <laughs> the moment you can celebrate, because you know, especially being where, from where I'm from, and knowing what Sienna means to so many people in the capital region, yeah, you know it's going to be a game that gets talked about forever. Yeah, you know, covering the MAC for how long, as long as you did, and you still do, the, the, you know, everything about the MAC. Talk about about Rick Pitino coming into the MAC, and what what do you think that will bring to the MAC overall? I don't have a Bart Scott voice, but can't <laughs> wait, can't <laughs> wait, can't wait. Should, I don't should, care if they, I don't care if it's a pandemic. I don't care if they play that game at Darge's house to have no fans there. I don't care. I'm going. I'm gonna be there. Trust me. Yes, I promise you. I'm gonna be there. Um. It's, it's kind of strange that he's, I mean, look, he wanted the Siena job. Like, mm. it's the proximity to Saratoga is a big deal for him. Um, he's obviously a world-class coach, a great coach. Um, I hope he understands that just because you're Rick Pitino doesn't mean you get to show up and Actually, I kind of hope he does understand that. I hope he just <laughs> show up. Um, you know, it, it means a lot for the conference. Now, there's an element that worries me, obviously. And I think Iona has some help with this. I don't know the whole ins and outs of it all, but they're paying him a lot of money. I mean, there's no great TV deal in the MAC. You can't afford to pay coaches a million dollars in the MAC. So I kind of wonder, like, how it's going to upset the salary structure of the league a little bit. Um, but obviously he's an unusual situation. I just think it's going to be great to watch a couple of very proud Italians, <laughs> Mr. Massiarello and Mr. Patino do their thing. It's, uh, I just hope, I just hope it's, uh, give me a Mac final next year. Just give me, where is it next year? It's in, where is it again? It's in, City. Yeah. Uh, why? Why? <laughs> It should always be in Albany. We, we all, I think we're all always be in Albany. <laughs> People say, like, it's such a huge advantage to Siena. We won this thing, what, like twice? Yeah. Like, come on. Whenever something bad happens to us, like, we have a chance to beat him a couple of years ago with one of Jimmy's teams and we call a play for a guy with two sprained ankles? Like, what are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing? <sighs> yeah, it's – I, I, I agree. I, I, don't, I don't let go of things, guys. I just, I just don't. I don't, I don't let go of stuff. But – 
it's, I think it's great for the Mac. It's going to put a lot of eyeballs on the Mac, and that's good because it will show kids from around the country that, hey, there's really good ball in this league. Yeah. So when Canisius or Fairfield or Niagara or, of course, Siena, when they go call on the kid from Texas, when they go call on the kid from Washington State, when they go call the kid from Oregon, when they go call the kid from Southern California, oh, yeah, I've heard of you. If Rick Pitino raises the, further raises the profile of the Mac, I'm all for it. Great. Uh, I, I agree. As long as he goes 0-3 oh, oh against us every year. I don't care. Yeah, we'll all be glued to TV for that game. Oh, um, it's going to be I, – I hope our fans, when they can go to a Siena game that has Rick Pitino, I, I hope they handle it with their usual charm and <laughs> commitment to manners that Siena fans are known for. I just, I just hope he comes out at the time Union in an all-white suit. That's, that's what I want to say. Could happen. If there's a horse race afterward, maybe. But <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe Carm should wear all-white just to, just to mess with <laughs> Maybe Carm should go with, like, his finest patino wear for this. That would be – Carm did such a great job this year, too. I'm so oh, proud yeah. of him. I'm so happy for him. I remember him when he was, a, you know, like the third option at Shen playing for Jimmy Zillow. Mm-hmm. And again, it means a lot to him. It speaks again. It speaks to what the capital region means. Once you're in it, you're in it for life. Yes, he's from there, but like, it means a lot to him be the coach at Siena. So you you see that, and that's why, like you guys mentioned, Allie a few minutes ago. Allie's been there almost a decade now. Like, Allie loves Siena. Allie loves her kids. Allie loves her program. Allie loves Siena College. Allie loves being part of this community. When you get exposed to Siena, it's really hard not to fall in love with the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Um, with Sienna being the first team you, you, you covered um, in your career, what was the biggest lesson you learned? That's a really good question. That's a really good question. It was – so I think the lesson that I had to learn, because I was young, that mm-hmm. I was early 20s, mid-20s, I was kind of the same age as the players. Mm-hmm. I think Marcus Faison and I might have been the same age, actually. Um, or either Marcus or Dwayne Archibald, like one of the two, mm. we were like maybe a year apart or something like that. Wow. The lesson you had to learn was you're not friends. Like you, you have to, you, you are there representing, you're not there to, you know, I can't remember what the bars were then, but like you're, you're not there to hang out with the guys. You're there to tell the story. You're there to be the eyes and ears. And that was the story for me. The the lesson for me was you're representing not just the 6,000 people in, in, in the TU Center, but everybody who wants to be there, everybody who wants to ask questions, everybody who wants to hear stories about the team. And you needed to write about Siena every day. Like every day you need to write about Siena because People are that hungry for Siena coverage. So it teaches you to be organized. It teaches you that you have to develop story ideas and always pay attention. But more than anything else, I think what really helped me was being the same age kind of as the players and understanding that, yes, we're sort of peers, but we're not. And you've got to treat it very differently. You've got to be very respectful of the job and of their space too. Like you couldn't ask to hang out with guys they don't want to hang out with us. They got their own lives. You know, they're students. They've got class responsibilities. They got all this going on. So, and luckily, I never did that. But like, you learn right away that it's very different. It's very different being around the team and being part of it. 
and there is a really big wall and there should be because you don't want them interfering with what you do and you certainly don't want to be you never want to be a problem you never want to be you guys get upset with stuff you ask especially after a loss stuff you write that's part of it but you never want to be the problem guy Mm -hmm. on a team like you just don't want to be that guy you just want to go there and write what happened fairly as best as you can maybe with a little pizzazz when you can and try to give people the knowledge that they're looking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to, we're going to end this with some quick hitters, just some basic stuff that we ask everyone and uh, just see your thoughts. Uh, favorite place in the capital region. I'm going to have two and one's kind of obvious and one isn't uh, Saratoga race course. Mm-hmm. It's heaven <laughs> on earth. My other one, nobody would ever guess. My other one's the Grotto at Siena. Every time, either when I'm landing, if I have time, as soon as I land, as soon as I get the rental car, I go right to the Grotto. Or if I don't have time, then I'll do it on my way back to Albany Airport before I'm returning the rental car. Um, I don't usually tell, I don't tell people when I'm going. I don't go there to see other people. I just pull in by the rugby fields or whatever that is over there now, go to the Grotto. I just it, it reminds me that there's something bigger at Siena sure. than just basketball and <laughs> it's kind of cool to have that connection again so it's just it's just part of my routine and it just reminds me that yes I'm a I, I admit it I'm a Siena basketball fan but I love Siena College and I love all that Siena College is and that grotto is it's a big part of what Siena is yes it's symbolic but it's a big part of what Siena is and that's that's why the track and the grotto are probably the two places that I have to see and I do every time when I am home too obviously I'm driving by the track I don't care if it's January 34th I'm driving by the track I just have to see it every time Uh, that's real Uh, what's your favorite food or favorite restaurant in Miami um whatever's nearest me usually um there's a there's an unbelievable Italian place in Fort Lauderdale called Margarano's um they do a meat it's Everyone else calls it a meatball salad. It's not a meatball salad. They will tell you very specifically, it's a meatball and salad. This guy is South Philly Italian, as authentic as they get, you know, yo cuz the whole bit. Like, that's his, it's his shtick, but it's really who he is. This guy, Steve Margarano, who owns it. My wife, when my, my wife, when she moved here, was writing for People Magazine. And she got him in People Magazine one time, because he is kind of a celebrity chef. And we went there few years ago waiting for a table Steve recognized my wife so and I think she might have gone and said hello to him so while we're waiting at the bar for our table they're bringing food over to us like so like these other guys in like suits and whatever are waiting for their table like people who are somebody and here I am hi <laughs> hi everyone um they would come over to me and the waiter would be like sir Mr. Martirano has prepared for you the Philadelphia cheesesteak sandwich. It is a sliced ribeye, like this appetizer-sized cheesesteak. And these dudes who are wearing like Rolexes, who got like you know Escalades waiting for them in the parking lot, they're looking like, who's the dude who just pulled up in a Honda who's getting a freaking cheesesteak from Steve Martirano? So if you ever come here, that's the spot. That and everyone says Joe Stone Crab on the beach, but for us, it's Martirano's in Fort Lauderdale. Best Italian food in the world outside of Italy. <laughs> what, would you say, what would you say the best food place in the capital region is? Man, I got to go back to 
it's changed. It's Saratoga's really become a foodie town, and I haven't spent enough time there. Uh -huh. There was this place on the backside of the track called the Horseshoe in Saratoga that had chicken wings oh, the size of like whole <laughs> chickens. Um, for me, it's I'm going to say Horseshoe. I am. I just. I, yes. I mean, technically, I would say the cottage up in Lake Placid. The cottage at Mirror Lake Inn, but that's not really Capital Region. So Horseshoe was that. Horseshoe was our spot when I lived in Saratoga. Horseshoe, I mean, my best friend is Ron Plort. He's the baseball coach at Skidmore. Mm -hmm. We spent we we could be found there pretty. We had daily office hours pretty much at the Horseshoe. <laughs> we could be found there pretty much any time. So, and uh, I I think it's still there. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, they're they, they're doing great. They actually just bought some place next door, so they're going to expand. Yeah, the owner at the time, this guy Joe Mack, was, um, you could tell he was, he had vision. Yeah. And, I mean, good food, cold beer, what can you say? I mean, just, and that, and it's 50 feet from the first turn. I mean, there's no yeah. problem with that either. And that's what, that's why it's so great this year with no fans allowed at Saratoga. Everyone's just piled in there watching, you know, what they can from, you know, but they have, they've kind of put blockade, blockade on the fence. You really can't see, but you can see right through it. <laughs> yeah. That's where there's a will, there's a way, right? Yeah. So, yeah. That would be, that would be my spot um, up at home. Okay. I know you cover a lot of sports. What would you say is uh, your favorite sport to cover outside? If basketball is outside the obvious basketball, what, what, what would be second? It's basketball. Okay. <laughs> it's basketball. Um, second favorite, I mean, I've, I've been very lucky to cover some cool stuff. Like, at, I, I went and did the London Olympics. I didn't have like a beat. I didn't have a sport beat per se. So I would go do archery one day at this 500-year-old cricket field. Um, I went and covered judo where an American girl wins the first U.S. gold medal. And she had an amazing story. She was a sexual abuse survivor and the whole bit. She's fighting a girl from West London in West London for the gold medal and wins. And she runs by us as she's running to the uh, running to the medal, medal podium. They're giving her the medal. They're going to do the flag, they're going to do the national anthem. She runs by us and she's screaming, I'm not going to bleep and cry. I'm not going to bleep and cry. I'm not going to bleep and cry. One note into the Star Spangled Banner. Boom. Waterworks. <laughs> I don't know if I have a favorite sport besides basketball, yeah. but I have been very lucky to see a lot of unbelievable moments from other sports. Um, I mean, I covered racing at Saratoga. I mean, how cool is that? So yeah. I, I, I truly believe this. This is not just you can do anything you want talk. Like, this isn't that at all. Yeah. I think there's an unbelievable story anywhere. Yeah. I love covering bobsled. I love covering skeleton. I love covering luge. Nobody follows those sports. Yeah. There are unbelievable stories in those sports. So I think you can tell a good story from any place in the world, any sport, anywhere, elite level, high school level, recreational level. I don't care. Yeah. I think everybody's got a story. I've been really lucky to get to tell them. What, what would you say the best single game performance you've ever seen in person was? Um, I had Braun scoring 61 with a mask on <laughs> um, here against Charlotte on a Monday night. Other than that, discounting every game that Scott Knapp ever played. <laughs> and I wasn't, I wasn't there for double for onions, double order, but you know, what's funny. So Loyola, I think it was Loyola was playing that same night at American airlines arena where the heat play in Miami. Right. Mm. And they lost. I forget the coach's name from Loyola. Dino Gaudio. 
I'm sorry, it was Wake Forest. He had left for Wake Forest. Dino Gaudio is coaching Wake Forest, and he's about to get fired. And Dino Gaudio is doing his post-game press conference after Wake Forest just loses a first-round game. I'm separated from him by one of those black curtains. That's it. I'm watching the end of our game against Ohio State on the other side of this black curtain. Dino Gaudio is in there talking about, uh, you know, they're a four seed. They just got knocked off by a 13. Yeah, I don't know what went wrong. And then he hits the second three, and I'm like, Ron <laughs> 13 words of profanity screwed into one, and I'm screaming it. I don't <laughs> care. So, meanwhile, a former Matt coach is just about to lose his job, and their season ends. And I'm there like, Sienna! <laughs> so, I had moments like that. What was the question? <laughs> oh, the best individual performance? I got to say this. Nobody will ever care or know it. The last high school game in my old gym, Indian Lake beat Minerva Newcomb 98-94 in overtime. Unbelievable game. Nobody cares. I tweet about it all the time. Dan Giroux, <laughs> Dan Giroux scored, scored. I went to Indian Lake. Dan Giroux scored 42 that night for us. was a school record. Just an unbelievable game. There's this kid, Kurt Bush from Minerva, had a breakaway for a dunk with like 11 seconds to go in overtime. Danny comes up from behind him and blocks it from the back. Saved, I mean, just, I, I got to be there for that game. I remember it vividly, 22, a high school game with like 74 people there. And 22 years later, I still talk about that game. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. That's the best part about sports, though. You never know. Like, I covered Roy Halladay's perfect game in Miami, and I'm a huge Phillies fan. Oh, wow. You just never know, like, when you're going to see something awesome. You never know when you're going to see something amazing. And that's what I love about what we do. The guys covering Luca today, I hope they enjoyed it because <laughs> it makes that stuff seem like it happens all the time. That doesn't happen all the time. Yeah. He makes it seem that way, but it doesn't. So there's when, when there are moments, you really appreciate them. And I'm at the point now where, yes, you write the story, then you take a step back and you're like, wow, mm -hmm. this, was, this was something to be at. And luckily, when you do this for as long as I have, you can't just pick one moment anymore because there's, there's been so many. Okay. So this next one is a two-part question. Who do you think is the best player at Siena, and who is your favorite player at Siena all time? <laughs> best player all time at Siena? Yep. Best player all time at Siena is Mark Brown. Yeah. I mean, no, all, all respect to Biz. All respect to Dreamus Betterman. But mm -hmm. Mark Brown was it. <laughs> I mean, just he's that guy. Um, and by the way, both of their numbers should be hanging. Like, they just – both should be hanging. We, we got to fix that. We got to fix that situation. <laughs> Get those numbers up there when we can. And Darge knows how I feel about that. Um, my favorite player. Wow. It's hard. It's probably nap. It's probably nap. Like he just had, he had Tyler Hero type swag. Mm -hmm. like he had swagger, but we knew what swagger was. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's this kid from a class B or C school in the middle of nowhere. His dad coached him. He plays on a gym that was like 12 foot long in high school. Like, who is this guy? And he just, he was just so cool. Like, so never got rattled. I just, that whole team, like, like guys like Corey Osinski, Marcus, Dwayne Archibald, mm -hmm. those guys were so tough. Um, Prosper. Oh my God. I love Prosper. Karan. 
Um, and I really wish I got to know like, like that crew that Fran had, yeah. the team that went like 100 no for four years in the MAC. Like I wish I really knew some of those guys because they just had enormous talent. Um, but I kind of saw a lot of myself in that because I thought I was an elite shooter. I was not <laughs> an elite shooter. <laughs> I was not. But I just – he was fun. He was a lot of fun. What is, uh, what is one piece of advice you'd give to someone who is uh, starting out in the media industry? Don't tweet. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> well, I say that to be funny, but I kind of mean it in a weird way. Like, no. you can get yourself in a lot of trouble. Like, don't tweet out news. Like, if you're getting paid by a newspaper or a wire service or a magazine – or a radio station or a TV station to put out news, do it for them first. Don't tweet it. It's not about you. Mm. It's not about, oh, I tweeted it first. Well, if I tweet it out first, like, I mean, Woj is the king of our world. I don't beat Woj. I'm, I mean, Woj has every agent, every everything. Woj is the god. Like, I, I respect Woj. Hate it, but I respect it. I don't hate him. I'm going to be very clear. Yeah. Like, you know, he has this platform. He can tweet out everything that happens. That's great. The AP would prefer I put it on the wire first. So those times when I do have something, we need to get it to our, the people who pay us. Um, so don't break news on Twitter. Don't try to be a personality on Twitter would be my advice to a young journalist. Do your job well, show up, do the long hours. As they say in the military, embrace the suck. Because <laughs> it is hard. It is hard right now. Um, these are hard times. These are different times in our industry. Um, just be honest. Don't be afraid of screwing up. And if you do screw up, own it. Because all you have is your accountability. You don't have to be perfect, but you must be accountable. So don't give it away for free. If you, if you make a mistake, own it, learn from it, move on. Yeah. Kind of like a next play mentality in sports. Next sure. play, just next play. Good, bad, or otherwise, next play. Mm -hmm. Okay. So drop a name of a guest you'd like to see uh, on, on our podcast. Anyone related uh, with CNN basketball. Okay. Now this is podcast three, right? Correct. So who have we had to date? We've had Ronald Moore and Ryan Rossiter. Yep. All right. Those are solid. <laughs> um, I would like to see. We had more. We had rosters. We had kind of like this time frame yeah. covered. Uh huh. Yeah. Give me. Give me Doremus. Let's talk about what. What the day actually. No. <laughs> give me. Give me Mike Dean. Oh, yeah. Give me Mike Dean. Mike's I mean, John Griffin started this thing in the mid-70s, and he doesn't get enough credit for what he did mm -hmm. to really start Siena building. I mean, yes, there was the 50s and Billy Harrell, like, in the National Catholic Championship and all that. Yes, and there were great players in the 60s, too. Mm -hmm. But the transition to Division One, and when Siena really started to become Siena, like, I also cover University of Miami football. Mm -hmm. And everyone talks about Jimmy Johnson, and, you know. Howard Schnellenberger started this thing mm -hmm. and he doesn't get enough credit for what he did at Miami, even though he did win the first national championship here. I don't think the guys who really laid the groundwork get enough credit. Mm -hmm. 
Give me a guy like Mike Dean to talk about what it was like to build Siena into Siena and what, what those recruiting battles were like. That, that would be, that would be a cool, like I, don't get me wrong, I'm going to have this thing unlock anyway going forward, but um, I ain't going to listen to this one because I've heard myself talk for way too long. But um, I, yeah, I, I would definitely sign up to listen to that one probably live. I, I would I love to hear Mike all day. The guys have the stories from forever. They're the best storytellers. Like yeah. I saw him for a few years. Like I've sat on the sidelines. He was in it. You know, you guys were in it. Tell me the stories from people who were in it. You know, that's I think that's what people really want to hear. Awesome. No, we really, really appreciate it. Uh, we are obviously really happy to be joined by Tim Reynolds with all his unique stories, stories that we would get from no one else. Because not a lot of people have been through the things you have or seen things you had. Obviously, none of us have been in the NBA bubble. We all see it. Some of us try to get on Microsoft to be on one of those crowd pictures right there. I saw Steph Curry and the whole Curry family was on the last one, uh, which is pretty unique. I um, <laughs> I might have a guy. I might have a guy. I'll tell you this. If, if you guys will wear Sienna apparel, oh, I, when I get back, up there let's see what we can do <laughs> this will be the second paper you call it right <laughs> yeah i might have someone who might owe me a favor who you got can some connections maybe do something for us yes. <laughs> awesome no we we'll definitely definitely try that but like we said thanks again for joining us we really do, do appreciate it don't forget to subscribe on wherever you listen to podcasts and on our youtube official page and also our social media twitter and instagram aside underscore stories pod uh, really appreciate it, Tim. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks guys. Good luck with the pod. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Subscribe. These kids deserve your help. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Appreciate it.